Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Well, let's jump into uh, week three of our series called uh, Boundaries, where we've been taking a look at at, uh, what it looks like for us to develop some healthy boundaries in our lives so that we can protect the things that matter the most to us. And, and our theme verse for this series has been found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. It says, a, a prudent person or a, a wise person, this is what they do. They, they're able to foresee uh, danger down the road and they take precaution based upon that danger. The Bible says that a simpleton, you know, somebody that um, other places, even in that scripture, it'll use the word fool, but um, a simpleton goes blindly. So it's almost like you're walking through life with your eyes shut. They go blindly and they suffer the consequences. And so I think the big question for us in this series is how do we make sure that we are a wise, prudent person in our life? And the short answer to that is by having some healthy boundaries in every area of our life. And so in week one, we took our time and we talked about what boundaries are. Um, I shared with you boundaries are not necessarily, they're they're not sin, they're kind of like, I use this analogy, they're kind of like rumble strips on the side of the road, like when you're driving your car and you begin to veer off the road, you hit these rumble uh, strips that sounds super loud on your tires, um, that boundaries are kind of like rumble strips. They are not the danger themselves, but they are warning you that if you keep going that direction, right, that there's danger looming. And so boundaries for us are not sin themselves, but they are kind of warning signs that we're beginning to drift towards that in that specific area of our life. And so week two, we talked about um, some uh, healthy boundaries uh, as it relates to our friendships. And today what I want to do is I want to I continue this collection of talks and I want to look at um, a topic that all of us deal with in our life. And it's how do we live in the world, but not of the world? Like how, how do we live in it, but we don't become a part of it. The, the, the Bible word the Bible uses is the word holiness, right? It's not talked a whole lot um, in today's culture, but the idea of holiness is that I'm on kind of a journey in my life to become more and more like Christ. So I'm beginning to cast away the things that don't look like Jesus and beginning to take on the things that look more like Jesus. So the idea of holiness or, or Living that kind of way is that the longer that I'm following the Lord, like the less of this, this worldly stuff that I've got operating in my life, right? And so uh, today what I want to do is I want us to look at uh, Romans chapter 12. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can kind of get a head start, begin to head that way. Um, but I want to talk to you from uh, this title, Keeping Clean in a Dirty World. Keeping clean in a dirty world. Hey, turn to two people, say, stay clean. Stay clean. Stay clean. Somebody needs to say to somebody, get clean. Like, you need to take a shower. 
All right, let's, uh, let's prepare our heart today. Say this out loud with me. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, how, many, how many basketball fans are out there? Anybody, anybody like, we got like, we got like playoffs like coming and stuff like that. Like, um, uh, I, I hope none of you are LeBron fans. Like, I just, I, I don't know what it is, but I just, um, uh, <laughs> Pastor DJ and, and Pastor James finally got me to, to go out and play basketball. Um, gosh, it's been like two or three weeks uh, since we went out. And um, I, have not, I have not played basketball in like 25 years, <laughs> like competitive basketball. And um, so I had to go buy a pair of, of uh, basketball shoes. And um, I ended up, the only shoes that like fit my budget and like worked with my feet were LeBron shoes. And, and when I told Andrea, she's like, you got to take them back. You got to take them back. You can't. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know whether you're a diehard basketball fan or not. You may have heard of um, a guy by the name of John Wooden. John Wooden was the uh, basketball coach for the UCLA uh, Bruins back from uh, 1948 to 1975. And John Wooden holds the record for the most national championships, 10. Now, the, the next highest coach in NCAA for national championships is half of that. I mean, this guy was it, and he is looked at as one of the, one of the highest level coaches and, and leaders to ever be a part of the game. And uh, when you think about that, I can't help but to think about like what, what made him so successful? What made John Wooden so successful to be able to win 10 national championships? And and I think one of the reasons why is because he was relentless. I mean, relentless in coaching the fundamentals of the game. I mean, this guy would take all of these like um, college athletes that are at the pinnacle of their game, at the, the most prestigious university, and on the first day of practice, he would take time to teach them how to put on their socks and how to lace up their basketball shoes so that they wouldn't get any blisters. I mean, this guy was all about the fundamentals. And and he would tell us that the fundamentals were the secret to his success. And I think as we're looking into Romans chapter 12, I think for, for a lot of us, that that could be helpful advice for us in our relationship with God, that, that sometimes we need to get back to the fundamentals of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and that's what we see by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. He's, he's basically talking to this group of believers and saying, hey, we got we to kind of get back to the basics. And let's take a look at what he says in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse one, he says, he says, therefore I urge you, and this word urge in the original language is a real strong, like some translations say plead. Like it's a, it's a strong desire. He's saying, I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, that in view of God's mercy, 
In other words, keeping um, an eye on all that God has done for you, he says this, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then he says this, look at this. This is your true and proper worship. Now, what I find interesting about those two words is that if Paul finds the need to say this is true worship, then that means there can be a false worship. That if he feels the need to specify that this is is the proper way to worship, that means there can be an improper way of worshiping. And he says in verse two, he says, do not, and this is, this is the, the element of worship, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. This is, this is the actual two verses that we get our, our vision and our church name from, comes from, was birthed out of this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then in my Bible, I've got this next word circled, then, because it's not until this happens beforehand that you then experience the back half of verse two, that then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so here we see, we see a couple words, like real key critical words in these two verses, the word conform, and the word transform. Now the word conform, it means to be, to be pressed into a mold. So I, I kind of went back and I kind of I stole some Play-Doh from the preschool room um, and, um, because I wanted to, I wanted to just kind of give you a little bit of a, of a visual example of this. But, but conform, this word conform, meaning that you're pressed into a mold, when you think about it, that's what the world is trying to do to us. That it's this constant outside force that's trying to kind of press us into a mold, to kind of shape us into the world's image. And, and I got this little mold here, and, I'm, I'm, and, and my hand's like the world, and, and the Play-Doh is, is us and our life. And and when you think about it, when you think about like the news cycles, right? What we watch, what we choose to watch on the news. I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the news makes money the more that you watch it. So that probably means that the more they can create, the more drama they can create, the more money they make, right? Wouldn't you think? Maybe that's why like every time you turn the news on, there's always breaking news. I mean, can there be that much breaking news that's happening? And so news becomes a, a, an agent of, of, of molding us. Um, culture becomes an agent of, of molding us. And what culture says is right and wrong versus what we know the word of God to say is right and wrong. Like we're seeing that, what, what's the big topic that is just going crazy that's trying to mold people right now in our culture? It's our identity as far as our sexuality, right? And so culture is trying to tell us that like you can choose whatever sex you are, 
Like you can choose whatever pronoun and all this kind of stuff that, that if you say that, that there's only two genders, that there's male and female, then, then, right, you're like homophobic or transphobic or what, you know what I'm saying? Like it is culture that just keeps kind of pressing, right? And so the temptation for us is, well, I don't want to be called like homophobic or transphobic, so I'm just going to, I'm going to conform, Right? I'm going to conform so that I don't get called names or I don't lose friends. Like you think of like the politics is something that, that good Lord, does politics like, like mold us. And it just kind of keeps pressing like as if like one person as president can change everything. Like the only one person is Jesus. So like <clears throat> students like peer pressure, right? You go to school and your friends want you to come. We just got, our daughter just went to, to prom this weekend. Many of you did. You know, the peer pressure of, 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 of going out and partying, the peer pressure of, of all the different stuff that comes along with that, right? Tries to, to mold you. Um, our education system tries to, to mold us. Our experiences, like the bad experiences that we've had in our life, like, if our parents, you know, if, if, if a parent left us or we got, we got hurt in a relationship and we, we carry that unforgiveness and that pain along with us, that it begins to, to kind of mold us like social media, social media like molds us. I've been off social media for three weeks and man, man, is life good with no social media? I tell you what. Um, and so what ends up happening and what Paul is trying to explain to us in this passage of scripture is that as we allow the world to just mold us into and press us into whatever image, um, this would be really cool if I could get it out. Uh, man, this is pitiful. I should have tried this before I came up on a platform. But we ended, this is not a good cow, but that's what the mold was. <laughs> But the world just kind of molds us, right? And what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12, now I've got Plato all over me. What he says in chapter 12 is he says, instead of living that kind of way, instead of allowing like all these influences around your life to just keep pressing you into the world's mold, he says this, he says, let yourself be transformed. And I love that word let because it implies that you and I have a choice. We have a choice of whether or not we're going to invite God into the process of, of transformation in our life. This word um, transform in the, in the original language is the word metamorpho and, and it's where we get the English word metamorphosis, right? That process that a butterfly goes through to become a beautiful butterfly. The thing starts out ugly as all get out, right? And it goes through this process of becoming a beautiful butterfly. And that's what this word transform um, means. And so it's that, that word metamorpho is, is two words in the original language. And I'm not going to go super deep, but, but it's... Morpho, which means to change, okay? And then the second part of that word is meta, which means after being with. 
So it's changing after being with. And so you can kind of see where the word conform is all about this like outside pressure of forcing us into a mold where the word transform is all about this, in, this influence, this, this inside change that starts on the inside and begins to work its way on the outside. And that in that process that you and I have a choice of whether we allow that to happen. And what the Apostle Paul is, is speaking about in Romans 12 is that that, that influence right, to be changed, that word, to be changed after being with, it's after being with God, like allowing the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's why, that's why um, a church is not supposed to be one of those, like, you got to walk in the door and you got to look the, right, the part, you got to be wearing the right clothes. You know, religion is all about looking on the outside, right, and trying to change the outside before the inside is transformed. But, but what God has always been after and what Jesus has always been after is that as we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, the outside is still very imperfect, right? It's a transformation that begins on the inside. And that's why over time, like there's some instant changes that happen, yes, but, but over time we begin to let go of the drinking. Over time, we begin to let go of the smoking. Over time, we begin to read a little bit more in our Bible. Over time, we begin to be transformed because it's a change that's happening after being with. And so Paul is, is kind of trying to communicate this in the book of Romans. And, and so we can see this like this two parts, like, like how does that transformation happen. And, and we can see the two parts of the meta and the morpho in Romans chapter 12. The meta part, as far as being with, we see that in Romans 12 verse 1, where he says this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, and then this part, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is the the meta part of being with. And, and I know the whole idea of living sacrifice can be confusing. And this is, this is the easiest way for me to, to explain it. Like I'm a father and I have three kids and I would do anything for those three kids. I'd give my life for those three kids. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how they treat me. They are my blood. They have my last name. I would lay down my life for them. However, there is something about when I'm laying in bed or I'm in a chair in the living room and my two daughters and one of them comes and crawls up, you know, next to me and like tucks in under my arm or crawls up into my chair and just sits there. Or when my son, when he's not asked, he pulls me in and hugs me and just says, dad, I love you. There's, there's something about when my kids respond that way that makes me want to do whatever I can for them. Right? I mean, it makes me want to bless them. It makes me 
Like all my kids are going to be doing that this afternoon. I can totally see it. I can totally see it. It doesn't count. It doesn't count because I've set you up. It doesn't count. (laughs) And I think what Paul's getting at here is like, what would it look like for us if, if we weren't the kid that only asked for something from their father when they needed it, but what if we were the kid that would just crawl up into their father's lap and just lean in and cuddle in and just love on them? Like maybe, maybe God would have more desire of a response to, to answer prayers or the, to open doors of opportunity if if we just showed a little bit more gratitude in our relationship with him. And, and so this, this idea of this living sacrifice that I'm gonna lay down my life, that I'm gonna crawl up into my father's arms and, and I'm gonna show him the love that I have for him is, is kind of what Paul's getting at there. And then, and then um, in verse two, the, the morpho part, as far as the, the change that happens, you know, you see that when he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this word renewing in the original language means to to change our heart and to change our life. Like it's it's as we are are being renewed, it's it's something that's happening from the inside out. It's not life and then heart. It's, It's heart that leads to life. That's why that's why it says in Proverbs 22, 7, that, that as he thinks in his heart, so is he, right? This thing right here, our heart leads and guides our life. And in other words, in other words, I used to think the way of the world, right? I used to go the way of the world, but when I met Jesus... And I accepted him into my heart that I am now making the decision to think the way of the kingdom and to go the way of the kingdom. Now, you got to understand this this idea of what Paul's talking about with transformation, that it'll never happen in our life until we begin to develop some boundaries because transformation requires a new perspective and a new path. And that's why so many times we will have a, um, an experience um, with God in church, right? And then we go out, we may even raise our hand and pray a prayer, but then we go out these doors and we go back thinking the way of the world, and doing the way of the world. And our life will never be transformed. We will never experience the transformed life that way. Like it's not until we have the kind of encounter with God that we began to first, like I know what impacted my life the most is when when I felt the presence of God when I was lost and I knew that despite all of the mess that I was in and stuff that I was doing that was so bad, that there was such an overwhelming love and acceptance as I received Christ into my heart that I began to look at my life through the lens of all that God has done for me 
And what I decided to do was I'm no longer gonna think the way of the world and I'm no longer gonna go the way of the world, but now I'm gonna begin to think the way of the kingdom. Like I, I'm a work in process. Like you're not gonna be perfect, not gonna get it right all the time, but I'm gonna begin to change my perspective of life towards the kingdom. And I'm gonna begin to change my path and begin to make decisions towards the kingdom. And as I began to, the Bible calls it this also is another Bible word, sanctification, right? It's this ongoing process in my life that as I began to make decisions, you know, every, every day we're faced with, am I going to go the way of the world? Am I going to go the way of the kingdom? And every time I choose the way of the kingdom, I become more and more transformed in my life. And at the end of the day, on the other end of this, this season of process of transformation resides God's best for our life. And what's so sad is how many of us end up, we have a, an experience with God to the point where we will, we will, we will say, yes, God exists. Um, uh, you know, I have a sense of like, I guess, longing and belonging and loving of God, but I'm going to kind of, I'm going to keep making decisions based off of what I want. I'm going to keep making decisions based off of, of, of the world and do the things that are fun for me. And we end up like in this weird, like, like deal where we start looking at God as uh, he's not who he says he is. And this whole Christian thing, like there's nothing really in it. And the reason why is because we've chose to settle with our life and to get all the things that we want, but to be able to punch our eternal ticket to heaven. And we miss out, like everything, what did, what did Jesus say in John 10, 10? That the enemy comes to steal, that's all this side, steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. It is all on this side of making decisions about the kingdom and going after the kingdom in our life. And so, so how do we do that? How, how, how can we set up some boundaries um, in this area of our life so that in a world that is dirty, in a world that's constantly trying to force us into its mold, what are some boundaries that we can we can implement in our life to help us to, to be kind of warnings, right? Boundaries are not sin. They're just the rumble strips on the side of the road warning us that, hey, there's danger on the other side of that. And so what are some boundaries? I've got five that I want to share with you. We're going to go through these quick, but five, um, five boundaries um, that we can, we can apply to our life to kind of help us experience transformation. The first one is this is that we don't have enough understanding of scripture to know the difference between right and wrong. That's a boundary, that's a, a rumble strip in our life. If we don't have enough understanding of scripture to know the difference between right and wrong. The reality is for all of us is what we believe will determine how we behave. What we believe will determine how we behave. And you can't, you can't avoid being conformed to the customs of this world if you don't know the difference between the world's customs and God's customs, right? And at some point, now listen to me, at some point, you and I have to wake up and to recognize 
that there's a reason why Satan has us so busy that we can't prioritize reading God's word. And I'm not talking about like, you know, there's, there's steps in the journey of reading God's word. And the baby steps of that is the verse for the day, right? Many of you got the Bible app and you'll do the verse for the day. But listen, the verse of the day was never intended to be the only word that you consume throughout the day. Like there, at some point, we have to grow beyond the verse of the day and begin to really start meditating on God's word. That word meditating um, in the original language in the Old Testament talks about meditating on the word day and night, right? That word, you've probably heard it before, but it's the, it's the, the same word that, that kind of represents what a cow does when it eats. Like, and it's pretty nasty, but the cow eats the, the cud, right, and swallows it. Right, and then I got Play-Doh on my stomach, huh? And uh, swallows it and then throws it back up again, right, in, in its mouth and then, and then chews it and then swallows it and then throws it back up again, regurgitates it and chews it. And that is the biblical word of meditating is that process of, of taking God's word chewing on it through the day, coming back. God, what are you saying um, through your word about me? Like, you know, allowing it to work in your life, to begin to dictate and to begin to adjust your decision-making, to begin to adjust, your, you, know, you know, your actions that you take in your life. And, and I'm telling you, it, it, I don't know if you've ever stopped to consider this, the connection between the reality that we are the most Bible illiterate generation of all time and our world is crazy. I don't know if you see the connection between that, but there's a, there's a reason why we can't figure out that there's only two genders and we get in arguments over all that kind of stuff. Like there's a reason because we are so biblically illiterate and so even within the church, even though we have good intentions, that stuff starts seeping in because we don't have a clear understanding of God's word to rightly divide the truth. And so we hear from culture, we hear from news, we hear from politicians, and then we began to like push away different parts of the word and keep the ones that we want, right? And we just, we struggle with it. And there is a direct correlation between the fact that, that not a lot of people get into God's word, but yet our world is messed up. All right. Look at this. I got this on the screen. Society becomes irrational when the Bible becomes optional. Our society will become irrational when the Bible becomes Optional. All right, let's move on. Number two, second, second boundary. We're getting close to the edge, right, in this area of trying to stay clean in a, in a dirty world when our relationship with God becomes a Sunday experience rather than a daily encounter. A Sunday experience rather than a daily encounter. And I know this is a bold statement here, but listen, you're never going to experience a transformed life, the, the life and the life more abundantly. Like 
God's best on this end of the spectrum. You're never gonna experience that if all you do in your relationship with God is check off the Sunday box. I mean, you can come to church, you can come to church every week and check off the box, but if you don't start allowing what God's wanting to do, like on the inside, to begin to create the transformation, to, to get into his word, get into small groups, like small groups start in a couple, or um, the expo, so, so that starts in a couple weeks, and then small group starts in about four weeks. Like if you're not looking for ways to get plugged in and, and to grow with other people in Christ, then it, it can be a warning that you're getting close to the edge. The third the third boundary is that is one we use the Bible to justify rather than guide. We use the Bible to justify our, our own desires and the things that we want. You know, Paul, Paul addresses this in, in the Corinthian church and he says, listen, he says, some things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial in your life. Like some things, yeah, you could probably do, and I mean, you're still gonna go to, go to heaven, but not everything is beneficial in your life. And that's that, that's that journey and decision-making in our life where we're kind of like, we're kind of straddling where there's some things of the world that, that we know aren't necessarily of God, but they're things that we desire and we love, and we kind of want that. But every time we take a step towards that, what happens to the other side of us? It pulls away, right? There's no way that we can take a step towards the world and not pull away from God. And then we struggle. And then we wonder, well, why do I feel so distant from God? Why do I feel like I can go into a church service like this and I just don't, I don't sense his presence? Like, I just, I don't have a desire to get up and to go to church. Like, like and it's because we keep making these decisions they keep pulling us further and further away from the Lord. Fourth one, I told you I'm gonna move through these kind of fast. Fourth one is this. So we quit looking for opportunities to share the God in us with the world around us. And we do, like one of the warning signs of us beginning to be conformed so the world is we quit looking for those opportunities. I guess like six weeks ago or so, we launched um, the Each One Reach One campaign for this year that the challenge on all of us is that, that we're gonna leverage our influence um, to reach somebody for Christ this year. That it is something that, that God has not called just a few people to do. He's called all of us as believers, Right? to reach lost people. In Matthew chapter five, I find this interesting, verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. And for whatever reason, like this morning when I was um, praying and kind of finishing up, for whatever reason, that word you just jumped out at me and it's not jumped out at me before, but but he's saying like, and it sounds almost kind of weird. Like I had to think about it a few times. Like, what do you mean you, like I'm the light? Like Jesus, are you saying that I, like how you're the light, right? Not, I'm not the light, you're the light. And what, 
What it's saying here is that we are the light to the world. Like if, if you think about it, if you think about it, Jesus could easily just start popping up everywhere, like in the Bible, like popping through walls and all that kind of stuff. But he chooses not to. He chooses to work through us. Think about the, okay, why are you here today? Why are you following the Lord? I guarantee you it's because somebody had an impact on your life. It wasn't because Jesus walked through a wall. It was because somebody had an impact in your life. And what it's saying here is that you and I, that we are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, that no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. And that's what culture tries to do to us. See, the truth is, the more that you and I compromise in our life, the more that we begin to make decisions based off the world and our own desires, the more that the world, we allow the world to conform us into its image, the less we evangelize. The more we go this way, the less we care about what's happening over here. And, and what Jesus says in this verse is that instead, like a lamp should be placed on, on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And he says in verse 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is the more that we allow our lives to be transformed, the brighter our life becomes. The more that we allow ourselves to be conformed to the world's image, the dimmer our light becomes. I mean, think about it. What would it look like? What would it look like if just all of us in this room decided to start taking a step towards the kingdom, to allow our light to become a little brighter and a little brighter and a little brighter what would our families look like? What would our workplace look like? What would our school look like? That Jesus has called us to be a light in a dark place. If we're taking steps towards being conformed, then that light becomes dimmer and dimmer. Then the fifth, the fifth boundary to help us stay clean in a dirty world is our relationship with God revolves around our life rather than our life revolving around our relationship with God. That it's a rumble strip. That it's a warning to us that we're headed in the wrong direction when when we look at our relationship with God and we kind of like, we kind of sprinkle him in every once in a while, rather than standing back and allowing God to be at the center of our life and everything we do is because of him. You know, every so often, I think it's, it's helpful for us to ask 
some really difficult questions like, like what does my calendar say about my relationship with God? What is the things that I have listed, the priorities on my calendar, what is it saying about my relationship with God? What is my bank account saying about my relationship with God? What are, what are my relationships and the people that I'm hanging around? What is it saying about my relationship with God? You know, these are difficult questions to ask, but the truth is this, is that you and I, we can't experience transformation without surrender. Because the flesh inside of us is always wanting us to move this direction. It's always wanting us to take a step towards the world. But our flesh doesn't want us to experience life and life abundantly. And so it makes these things tempting and, and, and enticing. And then before we realize it, God is way over there. And there's this massive gap between us and him. Maybe that's why Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter three, verse six, that in everything that you do, in everything, your school, your work, your marriage, your finances, your relationships, your dreams for the future, he says in everything that you do, Put God first. And the promise of us making the choice to surrender and to put God first, Solomon says, and he will direct you and will crown your efforts with success. It boils down to one question. One question that I, I hope that you have the courage to ask yourself. The question is, what kind of life do I wanna live? Just one question. What kind of life do I wanna live? Because there's only two types. I can either live the conformed life or the transformed life. Paul says this, he gives this warning in chapter 12, verse three. He says this, that because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. This is the verse after the two that we just read about being conformed and transformed. He said, I give you this warning. Don't think that you're better than you really are. Like he's saying, don't sit up in here and think that, oh, he's preaching to somebody else. He's not preaching to me. Like, he's like, don't think that you're better than you are. He says, be honest in your evaluation with yourself. Like, be honest this morning measuring yourselves 
by the faith that God has given us, by the standard of God's word in our life. As your pastor, I pray that you pick the ladder. I pray that you have the courage and the boldness to pick the transformed life instead of the conformed life. Because I know this, because I'm, I'm at a personal testimony of it, is that the transformed life comes with a satisfaction guarantee, baby. I'm telling you what, you're not gonna be perfect. Life's not gonna be perfect, but it is satisfaction guaranteed. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't even entertain going back to my old life. Don't even entertain it. Because I know that God is good and he is faithful. And that when we surrender our life to him, he does like what Andrea said, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes today. Father, we love you. We love you. And we thank you again for your word. Your word that, yes, it encourages us at times, but it, it's there to challenge us at times too. And Father, today we, we sit before you, we stand before you. At the end of the day, desiring and wanting all that you have for us. And so friend, right there where you're seated, with your head bowed and eye closed, I want you to ask this question. Between you and God, you don't have to say it out loud, but just between you and God, say this, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? In light of what we've talked about today, in light of your word, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Maybe he's showing you some things in your life, some, some areas of your life where you've been, you've been making the choice towards the world and it's been pulling you further away from God. Or maybe for you, the Holy Spirit is saying, well done. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, is saying to you, like you've, you've made some difficult decisions the last few weeks towards the kingdom and away from the world. And, and the Holy Spirit has taken this moment to say, well done, well done, well done. What is he saying? Father, we thank you that you are alive and active. We thank you that you are not dead. We thank you that you are speaking today. And so, Father, we open up our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Now, Father, I pray over every single one of us. God, may we have the courage May we have the courage to make the decisions that you're prompting us to make. We have the courage to step out of our comfort zone. And we have the courage to step away from the friends or to step away from the bottle or to step away from the drugs or to step away from the, the relationships that are leading us down the wrong path. Lord, today, may we have the courage 
not to get it perfect, but to take a step towards your kingdom. Because Father, more than anything else, we want to experience the promise of life and life more abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.